So let's look at what God's Word says. And um, it's to be found this morning in Luke chapter 9. And we're going to be reading from verses 18 to 22. So Luke chapter 9, verse 18 to 22. And it happens that while Jesus was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he questioned them, saying, Who do the people say that I am? They answered and said, John the Baptist. And others say, Elijah. But others, that one of the prophets of old has risen again. And Jesus said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, The Christ of God. But Jesus warned them and instructed them not to tell this to anyone, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed and be raised up on the third day. So who is Jesus? And the more important question is, who is Jesus to you today? As you sit there in your chair today, Who is Jesus Christ to you? You see, your answer is not going to change the reality of who Jesus really is, but it is going to change your eternal destiny. And if you get this answer wrong, your destiny forever will be affected. If you get this right, Jesus will change your life and he will secure your destiny forever. So it's a really, really important question. And the follow-up question to that is, if you say that you believe in Jesus Christ, then as a Christian I want to ask you today, how does your answer show in your daily practice? Yes, I believe in Jesus, but does it show in your everyday life? In the way you deal with people? In the way you deal with situations? does the reality of Jesus Christ come through in your life. Otherwise, you do not really know Him. And we can't beat around the bush with this truth anymore. You either know Jesus personally and it comes out in your life, or you do not know Him. You see, we have, the, we have some of these core passages, and it's specifically in the book of Luke, and I know we're in chapter 9 only, but we have three core questions of this passage, and of the whole book. And the three core questions are these. Who is Jesus to you? And we'll be looking at that question this morning. And the next time we meet around this passage, we'll be looking at the second question, which is, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Verses 23 to 27. And it's about suffering, by the way. And then the last question is, who does God say Jesus is? And that's what happens at the transfiguration verses 28 to 36. So you kind of know what's coming here. So this morning, who is Jesus Christ? You see, this was Jesus' central teaching when he was here on earth. He was teaching men about him, who he is, why he came, and what the kingdom of God is, and what the gospel message is. But it's all about Jesus Christ. It's a central theme of the book of Luke as he writes to Theophilus. He writes to Theophilus and he wants to tell him who this Jesus is. And we're soon going to reach that climactic answer when God tells us who Jesus is. 
So this is the core of our studies in the book of Luke. And that's why I'm kind of slowing down here and we're looking at these three questions on their own. We're going to be looking at some turning points this morning and the first turning point we come to is a turning point in the life of Jesus and his ministry here on earth. You see, he'd been doing these great miracles all over Israel, specifically in Galilee. He'd raised people from the dead. He'd, as we saw last time, he'd fed 5,000 plus people, made that 10,000 people. And he did that through miraculous works. But Jesus now begins his journey to Jerusalem. He sets his face to Jerusalem. He knows what has to come. He knows he's got to die for men. He knows that the time of teaching to the public is now coming to an end. And now the time has come to turn his face to Jerusalem. And the rest of the book of Luke looks at what happens from that point onwards. And Jesus now starts spending specific time with his disciples, withdrawing with them where he can, still teaching people, but withdrawing where he can with his disciples, and he's specifically preparing them now for his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. They had to be prepared for this, because when he ascended, they had to carry on with the kingdom work, you see. And so that's where we're at in this journey with Jesus. He's starting to prepare his disciples. So that's the turning point in Jesus' ministry. And now we come to a second turning point this morning, and that is a turning point in the walk of the disciples. Because Jesus asks them some very pertinent questions. And you can look in your Bibles, verses 18 to 19. He says to them, who do the people say that I am? As you move around the people, who do they say I am? And so the disciples respond to the Lord. Well, Lord, some people say that you're John the Baptist, risen again. Some say, Lord, that you're Elijah. And in the book of Matthew it even says that some say you're Jeremiah. Lord, some of them say you're one of the great prophets that has risen again. That's what the people say. Was Jesus on some kind of ego quest here? Who do the people say I am? It's like teenagers, I'm on you again. At school? What do the other kids say about me? Is, is that the kind of question Jesus is asking here? An ego quest? No, not at all. You see, Jesus is setting up the, the, the disciples for a follow-up question. And if you're a good teacher of any kind, you'll know that you ask good questions. And one question will need, lead to the next question, which is a follow-up question. Well, that's what Jesus does here. He says, who do the people say that I am? You see, what Jesus wants to do is he wants to... He wants the disciples to realize whether they know him or not, or whether they are just going via the opinion of the rest of the crowds. He wants them to realize that their, that their knowledge of who he is is different to that of the crowd. He wants to ask them the question, is it different to what the rest of the people think I am? And so he asks that question. Has anything much changed today? I showed you that movie clip? Do people know who Jesus is? No, they make fun of Jesus. Some don't want to know. You know, that guy that just kind of sniffed and walked away? Don't want to know. That cartoon series, if you watch that, stop watching that. It is of Satan because he really climbs in against Jesus Christ in so many ways. 
Don't let your children watch it. It's not just a cartoon. People do not know who Jesus is. They say he's a great historic figure today. Many will say that in other religions. They'll say he's just a great teacher. Some will even say he's just some dude to do with God. They don't get it. But the question is this morning, as you sit here, do you know who Jesus Christ is? Do you know? And that's what Jesus comes here and he says to his disciples, the people say this, but you, and there's a double emphasis here in the original on the word you, but you, do you know who I am? Who do you say I am? You see, he wants a personal declaration from each of these disciples of him. He wants to know where they stand with him personally. Is their perception of who he is different to the crowds? How much have you learned about me, you disciples? You've been on all these successful missions with me. You've seen me raising people from the dead. You've seen me curing people from diseases. You've seen me feeding people miraculously. Who do you say I am? Has it sunk into you yet, you disciples? Or do you still hold to this popular opinion that's around? The knowledge of who I am hasn't sunk from your head to your heart. Jesus wanted a public declaration from them and that's why he asks them publicly, who do you say that I am? Give me an answer. I want to know from you. But he wanted them to take a public stand for him on who he was. You see, sometimes as true believers, God calls us, you and I, to do the same. He wants you and I to be able to, give a, to take a public stand for him. And the question this morning is, Are you willing and able to do that because you know Jesus Christ? Because if you don't, you won't be able to take that stand. You will falter and fall. Do you know him yourself? And man, I love Peter. I I can identify with Peter in everything that he does. He either puts his foot into it, or his big mouth opens, he says the wrong stuff, or he does exactly the right thing. I love Peter. He goes full hog at life, doesn't he? Look at what he says. He answers, and I can see, he wouldn't have said his answer quietly. He would have blurted it out. That's Peter. He's a big man and a big personality. He says, Jesus, you are the Christos, the Christ, the Christ of God. You see, the penny dropped with Peter. Had a long way to go in Peter. But it dropped. And he realized who this was. It didn't last long, but he realized at that moment who this Jesus Christ is. He realized he was the Christos, the Messiah, the promised, the the prophesied about one, the long awaited for one. This is this one standing in front of me. God's promise fulfilled. God become man. The one who was there at creation. God himself. You know, Peter's come a long way. He realized that Jesus is unique. He is the Christos. And he blurts it out in a stand for Jesus Christ. I love Peter. The world today doesn't want to know about a unique Jesus Christ. They don't want to know. You heard that already. They don't want to know that Jesus Christ is the only way to God. You try saying that to someone in the street. Jesus Christ is the only way to God. How dare you say that? You presumptuous people. 
They don't want to know that by rejecting Jesus Christ, they face judgment and eternal punishment from God. They don't want to know that. You try saying that on the street to someone today. They don't want to know that he's the only one who can take away their sin by taking their sin upon himself. They don't want to know that either. They don't want to know that Christ is the only one good enough, in God's eyes, to have paid the price for man's sin. And he did so voluntarily, knowingly and lovingly for them. They don't want to know that. They don't want to know that he's the only one who can create new life in totally lost, damned and spiritually dead men and women. They do not want to know that he is unique. They want a more palatable Jesus. The hippie looking one with flowing hair. I can't relate to that one. The, the one with a Mona Lisa smile. Always somehow holding a lamb. The one who will always forgive you. No matter how much you sin. As long as you've said that prayer of commitment. They want that Jesus. The one where you don't need a daily walk or a relationship with Him. You can say the prayer and then get on with your life. That's the Jesus they want. They want Jesus on their terms, you see. And that isn't the unique Jesus. And Peter realizes this is the Messiah, the Christos. It finally dawned on Peter. Why? Was it because he suddenly got clever as a fisherman? No. Scripture tells us in Matthew chapter 16, verse 17 to 18, and I'm going to read you these words. It's the other passage that was so well read to us from Mark. But the same passage, Matthew 16, verse 17 to 18. Why did Peter know that this was the Christos of God? Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. He uses his full name, I like that. Because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Petros, Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Wow! So this was a God-declared declaration, and on that very statement of faith, that Jesus would build His church. And Jesus would continue to build His church on those statements of faith from believers as they come out over the centuries where believers have turned to Him and said, You are the one. You are the way. You are the one in who I put my trust. God builds His church. And then of course God used Peter Himself too as the leader of the early church. But you see, here was real conviction He was real change. Why? Because God had put it into his heart. And that's the only time we ever have real conviction about who Jesus is, is if God puts it into our hearts. You can be as clever as you want to in this world. You can be the top academic in this world. You can understand about who Jesus is. But if God doesn't move that from your head to your heart, you will never know him. God has to do it. God changes the heart. He plants the truth in you and I. He moves the truth from mere understanding to a deep-seated conviction and the type of conviction that brings sacrificial change, that brings bold courage when it's necessary. 
the type of conviction that will move people from a country to move countries and go and serve the Lord somewhere where they haven't got all the paraphernalia that we all think we need to live every day. In the past, those who have gone to China that have taken months of journeys in boats to go and serve the Lord and they didn't know what was lying ahead. That's the type of conviction that only God can give. It's the type of conviction that will cause people to stand and they know they're going to be killed for their faith, but they stand and they say, I love the Lord Jesus Christ and here I stand, I can do no other. And they are killed for their faith. Well, if God hadn't put that conviction in their heart, they would never do that. They would capitulate. They would fall over. You see, and it's the same for you and I. If you want to stand strong as a Christian today, God has to bring that conviction of who Jesus Christ is into your heart. He's got to change you. He's got to empower you. That Otherwise, as soon as the power comes up against you, as soon as your friends come up and you feel embarrassed by the situation, you will fall over. As soon as your colleagues ask you, are you a Christian? You will make excuses. If God doesn't convict your heart. And so my friend, I pray for you today. May God convict your heart on this crucial question, who is Jesus Christ to you today? And you see, it's more than, than just an idea. For some of us know the answers, but they weigh out there. It never affects our daily lives. Does the answer affect your daily life? Otherwise, you will not stand. You will break under the cross you are called to carry. God uses his heart conviction in people to serve him. He doesn't use those who only have a shallow and a faltering lip confession only relationship with Jesus. Have you got a shallow lip confession only faith and relationship in Jesus Christ? And then you're surprised when God doesn't do anything in your life? Or he doesn't use you among your friends? Ask the Lord to convict your heart. You know, there's a danger too. If you live a half-baked Christian life where you don't really know the Lord Jesus Christ, you haven't got that daily relationship with Him, here's the danger. The world will look at you and the world will see right through that facade that you are painting and they will turn away from that God because you are living a lie. You see, you and I can stand in the way of what God is doing and God will push us out the way and use someone else. But the world will look and see and they look and see in our lives. What is your life telling the world? Can the world see that your relationship is only a fleeting one with the Lord every day? They will see and they will turn away because of your testimony and mine. And so we need to ask the Lord Jesus Christ, this one that we're speaking about this morning, to turn our shallowness into depth. Lord, make me a deep Christian for you. I can't live the shallow life anymore. And Lord, only you can do it. Will that be your prayer today? In your text, Jesus then says, tell no one. Now, I kind of wondered about that again, but we've looked at that before. Tell no one. You see, Jesus warns them that it's God's timing is everything and that 
when the time is right, he will be declared as Messiah. You see, Jesus needed to be, to be declared as Messiah linked to his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. In God's timing, for that perfect picture to be seen by the world, those things had to happen together. And so that is when he's declared as Messiah. And he reminds them that he is the Son of Man, verse 22 of um, our text, and in Matthew as well. And when he says this to them, it's in complete juxtaposition to what they've been experiencing up to now. You see, what they've seen of Jesus was not a Jesus who had to do with suffering. They'd seen this Jesus who could cure people, this Jesus who had this wondrous power to perform these miracles. But he kind of never spoke about suffering to them. What's this all about? Suffering? He's going to suffer many things. He's going to be rejected by the who? The Jewish religious leadership. And yes, Jesus is always going at those leaders, but are they actually going to persecute him? Are they actually going to kill him? Is what he's just said. That must have come as quite a shock to his disciples. And he's going to be raised up. And he uses very, very specific words here. And any good Jewish person who had been trained in God's word would have recognized these words. He said, I will be raised up. What was that referring to? Remember in the Old Testament, the time of Moses, the people were sinning against the Lord and sinning against the Lord and the Lord brought His judgment on the people and people started dying left, right and centre. And so God says to Moses, I want you to make a serpent of bronze and I want you to put it on the cross and I want you to raise it up and I want you to tell the people, if you will only look up, and look at that, at, at that serpent and know that God is the one who's almighty and ask His forgiveness, then I will save you. You will not die. You see, it was a picture looking forward to what? To Jesus being put on that cross, dying for our sins and being the one who gives new life. And so He uses those very specific words and I will be raised up. And that should have been another link for them. This is the Christos. But he's going to suffer. And on the third day, he will rise again. John chapter 3, verse 14 to 15 says this, referring to that moment, And as Moses was lifted up, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And Jesus warns them, I'm going to suffer much, but this must happen in God's way so that the Messiah can be declared to the world and so that the world can be saved. You are my followers. Are you willing to come with me? And then in the next follow-up passage, which we'll look at the next time, Jesus tells them what it's going to cost them. It's going to cost them to follow Him. And that would have been an, a big reality check on these disciples. And now we have to move from the passage in Luke. Remember, we've got three cameras. We've got Mark, Matthew, and Luke. We're going to move to the Matthew camera because the story actually continues here. Peter's not finished, you see. He's had his moment of faith and now we see the Peter moment coming out again. The normal Peter. The one that God still has to work on, Peter. And Peter draws the Lord aside in Matthew and he says, Lord, 
You got it wrong, Lord. The Messiah is supposed to be crowned, Lord. There's supposed to be a parade of some kind. There's supposed to be freedom from our people who are under bondage, Lord. The yoke of the Romans is going to be thrown off, isn't it, Lord? That's what the Messiah is. But suffering? Lord, you're going to be rejected by our Jewish leadership? They're actually going to kill you? Lord, that's not the picture I've got in my head. You must be wrong, Lord. You see, Peter? Matthew 16, verse 22 to 23. Look what Jesus does. And this must have put Peter right on his back feet. Jesus rebukes Peter. You see, Jesus recognized who was behind this. Jesus recognized that Satan was the one behind Peter's false thinking. He was influencing Peter's thinking. And so he says, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. And he speaks to Peter here. And Peter, you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. I don't think Peter would ever have forgotten that lesson that day. The Lord rebuked me. He called me. What? He would never forget. You and I, how does that relate to us? I wonder, uh, do we kind of have the same reaction to God sometimes? We see God working and somehow it doesn't add up to the way we thought God was going to do it. Lord, this isn't quite the picture I had in mind when I said I wanted to serve you. And now you're sending me where? To Adlam land. Come now, go somewhere more comfortable, Lord. Like the South Island. Lord, you want me to do what in my life? Doesn't add up to my picture, Lord. You need to see what happens here. God dealt with Peter. And we need to be warned that even great men and women of God and you may become a hindrance to the work of God if we stray outside of the revealed word of God, sorry, the revealed will of God through His word. Because sometimes we want to get things done and it's not quite the way God's word says it should and it will work. But it's our picture. And then God works according to His word. He never alters that. And he says, you are hindering me in my work in your life and in this community through you. And then God works on you and I. Be careful that you don't become a hindrance. There's one test for truth. And what is that? What does God's word say? If God is telling you to do something and it doesn't line up with his word, guess what? You've got it wrong. Not God's word. You've got to go back to him. It's not right. Don't push through that picture. God works in his way and that is through the way he spelt out to us in his word. Don't believe what they tell you on TV when you watch those famous guys. They will come up with all kinds of truths which aren't truths. Don't believe them if it goes against God's word. God's word stands supreme. God's word is the authority in this world for us. Believe God's word first. Don't follow those people.
We come to a third turning point this morning and that's you and I. We've looked at Jesus, we've looked at the disciples and so here we're at the so what question. How does that apply to me? How does that apply to you this morning? Who is Jesus to you today? And I want to point to four areas and I want to ask you these questions. Is He your Saviour, as you're sitting in that chair this morning, is He your Saviour this morning? Your Saviour. It's the ultimate question. And it requires an individual response. And you cannot go on what your husband thinks. You cannot go on what your mother thinks for you. You cannot go on a statement and a baptism that was made for you when you were small. Jesus says to you and I this morning, Are you one of mine? Who am I to you? Do you have a relationship with me? In other words, are you saved? It's a question you need to answer when you're on your own and there's no one else around you and you're in your room on your own with the Lord. And He says to you, do you know me? What's that answer you give Him? It's speaking about a daily relationship with Him. If you do not have a daily relationship with Jesus Christ, you're in deep sin or you don't know Him. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Saviour? There's only two answers to this. Yes and no. Do you know Jesus Christ personally today? Do you know Him as your Saviour? Secondly, do you know Him this morning as the unique Jesus Christ, the Christos of God, like Peter said. Do you know Him as the Messiah? Is He your only hope? If you think there's another way through life, then He is not your Christos, Messiah. He is the only hope. Is He your only source of life? Or do you think you can do it somehow, just a little bit on your own too? Is He your only source of life? You see, only if you can say yes to those two questions will you really trust Him when, as they say in Africa, the pawpaw hits the fan in life. Seriously, if you cannot say that you know Jesus Christ personally as the unique and only Christ, when life comes against you, you will not stand. God's Word says so. Not me. God's Word says so. You will not trust Him. You will not trust His promises in His Word. You will not entrust your life and all the aspects of your life and all the complications that come in your life. You will not entrust your life to Him if you cannot answer that question and say yes to it. He is my Christ. You see, when you can't say that, then if you've said you're a Christian... He is no longer the only one you serve. Somehow, sin has crept into your life. It doesn't take much. Somehow, you've started serving other gods in your life. And you need to take those idols in your life and you need to take them before the Lord and ask Him to take them away until He is the only, unique Jesus Christ in your life. No other. Thirdly, when you think of Jesus Christ, do you see Him as a Saviour who suffered for you? 
But there's more to that question. Do you know that he's called you to suffer for him too? You see, we want the easy Christianity. The one where he solves my problems. The one where I've always got enough because he always just pours money and goods and cars and things my way. That's the type of Christianity we want, you see. But Jesus calls us to suffering. And somehow, when suffering comes our way, we're all surprised. As Christians. Jesus warned us in Scripture, and in this passage, that we will suffer. And here's the truth today. You will see, the, you will see your conviction in the way you react when life hits your pocket. When life hits your health, when life hits your employment situation and your family environment and maybe even your own questions about life, you will see what you really believe when those sufferings hit your life. What comes out of your life then? That's the evidence you see. Is he the suffering Christ, the one who suffered on your behalf and mine? And then lastly this morning... Is He the risen and the precious Saviour to you? Is He the risen and the precious Saviour to you? And yes, we know from, from um, Scripture that Christ suffered. We know that He was taken by the Jewish leadership and He was taken before Pilate and then in the end He was killed on a cross, a painful death. We know that He died, He was put in the tomb. But we also know that He rose again because Scripture tells us and we know that He ascended on high. And we also know the Scripture says that what? He's coming again. That's the reality of what we know. Is He your risen Saviour this morning? Do you believe that He's coming again? Do you live your life in the light of the urgency of Jesus Christ coming again? Do you give your life to Him every single day because He's coming again? Or do you just cruise along life? There's just going to be another day. Jesus Christ is a risen Saviour. He's a coming again Saviour. Is He your precious Saviour? Is He the only treasure to you in your life? You see, during this life, other glittering prizes are going to be put across your way. Are you going to go for them? At the price of losing Jesus Christ. Other things will come your way. And they might even be in your life right now. And Jesus is being pushed aside because your interest is all on this treasure. You know, I meet so many Christians who are sitting along the road because they've grabbed onto other treasures. And you don't see them inside a church building anymore. They're not worshipping with the saints of God. They think, I would rather be disobedient because Jesus is no longer my precious Saviour. I don't have to obey Him. And so they stay out. And yes, they might have been hurt and all kinds of things. And stuff happens inside churches, right? But how much is Jesus worth to you? More than everything? More than any of those problems? Are you willing to see Him as your precious Saviour at all costs? Do you want to finish well because of this precious Jesus Christ? How are you running your run before Jesus Christ? Are you going to finish well for Jesus Christ because He is precious to you? You know, I meet with 
certain individuals who shall remain unnamed here, but they're the oldest one here. I see Jesus Christ. I see someone finishing the race well. And that gives me inspiration to finish well. I see Jesus Christ who is precious in someone's life. And that gives me inspiration as the pastor of this church, as the pastor over this person, to finish my walk well before the Lord. Is He precious to you? Or are you happy with mediocrity in your spiritual life? Just cruising. Mediocrity is okay for me. Are you happy with mediocrity? Then Jesus isn't precious to you. Do you approach your relationship with Jesus in like a speed dating type of way? Every morning, oh, a few minutes if I've got time, otherwise I'll try tonight if I don't fall asleep. Speed dating Jesus. You'll never stand up. You'll never be used by the Lord if that is the relationship you have with Him. Is He your precious and only Saviour? You see, there's a turning point for you and I this morning too. Because you can leave this building and you're going to have to get up from that seat some stage. You can't stay here all week. And when you get up from that seat, life starts again. And what are you going to do with it? Are you going to carry on walking the walk? You've always just walked through life. Or are you going to serve Jesus like Peter, full hog? And Peter got it wrong sometimes, but the Lord is gracious. The Lord forgives us, doesn't he? We've got a couple, they're going to go out to Arnhem Land, and they're going to get it wrong sometimes, whether they know it or not. They will. But Jesus Christ is gracious. He will forgive them if they come on their knees to him. He will continue to use them among the people there in Arnhem Land. He will continue to use you and I if we see Him as our precious Saviour and if we get up from this place and we rededicate our lives to Him and we ask Him, Lord, use me. Help me in my heart to see who You are, Lord Jesus Christ. May I answer that question. You are indeed my Saviour, my Lord, my precious One, the only and unique Saviour, the Christos of my life. No other will do for me. Then God will use you. And how will He use you? He will use you mightily. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Your Word has come to us You've asked that question of every one of us sitting here today. Who do you say that I am? And Lord, as your Holy Spirit moves among us, may you do your convicting work in our hearts. We cannot lie to you. May we see Jesus Christ as the only Saviour in our lives. As our only precious Saviour. And may we turn from this place and serve you in this community with the power that you give us because you bring conviction into our hearts. And Lord, if we have to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ, whatever that suffering might be, may Jesus Christ shine through our lives. May we stand strong in Jesus Christ 
because you are standing all around us. You're inside of us, around us. You surround us, Lord, inside and outside. May we stand strong in Jesus Christ because you have done your work in our hearts. And Lord, if there are any here that still do not know you today, the gospel call has come out again. Accept Jesus Christ as the only way to God. Let him pay for your sin that you have, that you cannot pay for, and let him give you new life. Lord, may those people be saved as your Spirit does your work. Use us as individuals and this little church of Wanganui East Baptist. Use us in this community because we know who Jesus Christ is in our hearts. Use us, we pray, so that your name will be glorified in the end. We give you praise and we look to you for grace and for mercy. Amen.